It's the Morning Marketing Machine, here to grow your e-commerce business with proven marketing strategies and tactics, so you can run your business with machine-like precision. My name is Douglas Levin, let's dive in. So welcome to the Morning Marketing Machine, and today is a very special day. Uh, so if you heard anything I've, I've said about marketing or mindset, uh, the odds are pretty good that I probably learned it from Brian Bowman. Uh, so today, you don't actually have to hear me say that anymore because we actually have Brian on, on the show. So uh, thank you, Brian, for coming on. Yeah, for sure, Douglas. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And uh, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I, 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 love this, I love this show and like the idea behind it. Happy to be on here. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can talk about some cool stuff that uh, your listeners will, will get some value from. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I know it seems like probably like I've learned about 90% of my marketing and mindset from you. So, so I'm always constantly dropping. Oh, uh, Brian, I learned the strategy from Brian Bowman. So, <laughs> so they're probably pretty familiar with you, but I, I guess for the three people out there that haven't, um, if you can tell us just a little bit in terms of how you, how you got started on this journey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, Full transparency, a lot of stuff, you know, pretty much everything I've learned, I learned from others. So that's, that's the name of the game. We just keep passing it forward to other people and you're going to influence another generation of marketing, like a, no, a new cohort of marketers and they will apply it and they'll say, oh, I learned this from Douglas and then they'll, they'll influence another group. So that's, that's kind of how the, I think it's the best way to do it. It's how the game's played, right? Um, so yeah, so a little bit about me. I, I mean, I won't give you the whole long story. Um, the years are adding up, so the story's getting <laughs> the story's getting longer and longer. Um, but basically, on the sort of entrepreneurial side, I've always I've always been a business minded person. Um, my parents were as well. So, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and kind of striking out on your own and being independent and thinking independently that was just that was just kind of normal in my house. And my parents owned a lot of different businesses. At nineteen, I tried college, dropped out, started my own business, that failed. I actually did strike it kind of out on my own at 22. Um, I did start a, a document management company. Back in the day, that was like a big deal to take records and scan them into a database where companies could search and stuff. It's, uh, um, it was good, it was good business, but um, ended up quitting or you know getting rid of that business, dissolving it, and then going and playing uh, pro golf on the mini tours for a while was an actuary for a while. And in between all of that, I kind of kept getting pulled back to my entrepreneurial side because, you know, going to a regular job, it was cool for like a year or two. And then I was like, yeah, I can't do this. So that's when I started really exploring uh, e-commerce, namely Amazon, like FBA was just starting to kind of pick up and people were talking about doing it and uh, started doing that selling. We built, we actually built two brands, like pretty successfully built them off Amazon as well. And then people would reach out and they would just randomly say like, hey, do you, because I documented my journey. Like back in the day, I, you know, like 2014, maybe. Yeah, 13, 14, 14. I started documenting it. Like I was just saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. If you guys want to follow along, you know, I think I had a Facebook group and I was just posting videos. Um, and because I used to be an actuary, I'm like a really math sort of nerdy, like math minded person. So I would kind of bring this different approach. Um, I didn't learn the marketing side of things till kind of later on because I was kind of naturally more of a numbers driven person. So I think I offered a different approach than what a lot of the other people were talking about. So maybe that's why people liked it. Ultimately, though, um, people would reach out. And they're like, hey, are you, do you coach people? I'm like, no, no, I don't. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing and just documenting it. Um, 
And then eventually I, I said, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll try it out. I loved it. And that's kind of where I'm at now is I still have partnerships and brands, but my main business, Ecom Underground, we, we coach and, and consult sellers and help them scale. And it's been awesome. I, um, when I was in school, I actually, I actually thought I was going to stay in academia and become a professor and cause I loved it. I love like, I love teaching. I love taking ideas, making them simple. It's like a lot of fun. Um, so I get to do that like all the time now I get to take ideas like, you know, Eugene Schwartz and his states of awareness and, and ideas on like Facebook ads and, and, and traffic temperature, like all these different things that can be so complex. And I get to kind of boil them down and help, help brands scale. And it's, it's fun. I like, I love what I do. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. I, I know. I think it was a few years ago. It was like three or four years ago. I, I came across your Facebook group at the time and I think you were starting off with that. And I, I like, I'm a part of the intensive as well. And, and like the way that you break all that down is, is I think it's something that not a lot of people can do like, like, cause everyone wants to make it really complicated, I guess. And over explain. I know I, I, I fall into that trap when I'm trying to, to explain something to somebody that doesn't get something about your marketing or mindset or something. You, you want to explain it, but you end up talking forever to try and explain something that you could make really concise and short, but you seem to do it really good. Uh, thanks, man. I, uh, I think it's really interesting. So I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading, uh, I'm reading Ben Franklin's uh, biography right now, or one of them. And, uh, it's something that I, when I'm listening to him, it's like people would say that, people would say about him, like you could take these complicated ideas and make them simple. And every time that he's talking, I'm like, yes, like there's so many times where we use like 10 words when we can just use two, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, so listening to that, I'm like, oh, like I totally under, like I totally appreciate what he's doing. And I think that's one of the biggest things is like us not trying to like flatter, and I'm talking to myself, right? Like not mm -hmm. trying to like flatter our own ego with, what we know, like, and, um, and just trying to really dumb it down and try to come up with, um, Steve Jobs used to call them Icolas. I know, uh, Russell Brunson, you know, I, I learned, I learned so much from Russell. Um, you know, he's become, he's become a good friend and, and I've learned so much from the marketing and business side, but he does this as well. So this would be like the first bit of advice that I would give your listeners is like, keep, like, keep the language simple in your marketing imagine you're talking to a second grader and not that you're like insulting their intelligence at all. That is not what I'm saying. It's just that your, our brains, when we, when we hear like big words or complicated ideas, like red flags go off because it's going to take a lot of energy. Uh, there's a guy, um, Oren Claff, Oren Claff, he wrote a book on salesmanship and he talks about like the different parts of the brain. Essentially, when people hear big ideas or big words, it's not that they can't understand it. It's just like a red flag goes off in their brain that says like, oh, this is going to take a lot of energy. I don't want to, it's almost like a survival mechanism, like subconscious. I don't want to expend this energy. So I'm going to shut off or put this thing to the side till later. But one way you can like penetrate that wall is dumbing down the language, keeping it really simple. Um, again, like I will literally read copy and it's like, would my, you know, second grade or, you know, my, I, I I, I imagine like what a second grader, you know, like second grade, like niece or something like, would she be able to understand this? Um, so think of it that way and then have stories, have examples. This is one thing that again, Russell does really well. This original idea where I first heard it was Steve Jobs with the Icolas. It's kind of like, uh, so 
you know, the, the iPod, right? Like, oh, it's not all the technical features and stuff. It's, it's kind of like having a thousand songs in your pocket. Like, boom, I got it. So as much as possible, if you can take things and think of examples, I, I find that people get it. It's a lot, actually a lot more fun to explain because people actually understand what you're saying and that's gratifying, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I would, I think we all, especially when we know something really well, it's so tempting to like dive into all the details because if people only knew like how cool this is, but it just sets off alarms and people are like, ah, I'll, I'll check it, I'll check it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Russell kind of made it famous in terms of like techno babble and that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, exactly. but yeah, it, it's the same. I know he talks about kind of like bridges, which is in effect the same thing as exactly what you're talking about. Simply. Yeah, yeah. Just anytime you can wrap something in a story, it's, it's the easiest, it's, it's the easiest like hack to get past the, those alarms, those like alarm bells, like, you know, should I, should I pay attention to this? Stories penetrate that really easily and they're more memorable. There's a, uh, there's a book called Made to Stick by Chip Heath and he talks about this. Well, it's actually two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. And they talk about what makes ideas stick. It's an amazing book. I, I can recommend everyone read it. It's awesome. Um, and it, it explains like why urban legends, like those tales, like why they stick. One of them is because they're stories. Um, and they've, there's been all these studies that when you compare giving people the stats and the facts and the details and checklists and everything versus just giving them the story, like giving, wrapping the idea in a story like that they retain more and they're able to apply more of what you said than with all the stats and data and everything else. So. Yeah. I, I read, um, uh, building a story brand pretty recently and they talk about that yeah. same idea. Yeah. Donald like, Miller. Yeah. 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 It was really good in terms of that same kind of idea. Like you're, you're comparing brands to like Hollywood movies and, and that idea where like you're making them the hero and they identify with more and they start to think about it more and they look yeah. at Yeah. And you've talked about the idea of trusted advisor all the time. That's a great way of doing it. Yeah. I learned that from Jay Abraham. So Jay Abraham was the one who taught me that idea of a trusted advisor is um, you, you know, I think this is what Donald Miller says. You correct me, but I think he says like, you're, you're not Luke Skywalker. Like they're Luke Skywalker. You're Yoda. Yep. That's, that's your job. Yeah. 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 So, so, so since you, you're talking about books a few times here, uh, and obviously you're talking about the one that, uh, that you've been reading now, what's, what's your, I know you do a lot of reading. Uh, what's your favorite in the last say six months? Ooh, that is tough to say. Um, cause I do read a lot. I, I, Man, that is a tough question. My favorite in the last six months. Because then the problem is there's going to be recency bias. Mm -hmm. So and that's the interesting thing about biases is uh, if you read, if you read uh, Robert Cialdini's Influence, um, he, that, it's like every human on earth should read that book, especially if you're a marketer. Because um, that's like, he like opens up like all the bias. He like explains all the biases of a human mind and like how we work and um, to me, it would be a mistake to be a marketer and not read that book, but I think it'd be a mistake to be a human being and not read that book. But um, he talks about recency bias. Like it's, I'm going to remember the things that are more recent. So there is one book and it's not marketing. It's nothing to do with business, but it, it, and maybe it sticks out because it wasn't marketing or business. Um, but C.S. Lewis, uh, Mere Christianity mm -hmm. was pretty, 
pretty impactful. Like, um, it's definitely a book that I'll go back and read. And I'd be surprised if in the next 10 years, I didn't read it at least, you know, three or four more times. So, um, so I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know if you want more like a business book. Um, cause that one, that one definitely sticks out. What do you think made it so impactful for you? Um, it's a, so he takes, so I'm, you know, I'm a Christian and he takes the ideas in it. And my Christian journey has been a very complex and, and very, uh, you know, very challenging journey. And just through personal things I've been through and, you know, questions that it's like, why just basically why, um, so he was a really, I mean, he was a scholar, but before then he was an atheist and very, uh, very, very educated, Oxford educated, and he went through his conversion. So what I like about it, the reason it's called mere Christianity is he's boiling down all the like, all the controversial stuff about Christianity, that's all gone. He's just boiling it down to mere Christianity, like the simplest form, the simplest ideals. And it's a good reminder of things. He is the guy had a photographic memory, so he can pull these references. You talk about like stories and bridges and taking a complex idea and making it simple yet profound. Mm -hmm. So I would say, even if you're not a Christian and if you don't want to read a book about religion, it, he does an amazing job of explaining things. Like he takes this idea of the difference between the experience of and I don't, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too like religious on the podcast here. So, but he takes the, like the, the experience of walking on the, of walking on, on wet sand and feeling the water versus looking at a map. So like he takes an idea, something so complex, like our journey through faith, but he uses an example, like an ocean, like walking, walking on the seaside and a map to like explain this really profound thing that at the end of the day, isn't really answerable. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. It's just actually, it's interesting because it really is a good example of how he uses uh, story and examples to explain something that's so profound that at the end of the day, who knows? Like we don't, we don't know if there's an answer yet. He, he does a very good job of explaining these concepts. So Yeah, I know you've talked before in terms of say, coming from the marketing side of it, where you take something that works in another vertical and taking it. Yes. Work. This kind of sounds like it could be something that has that same effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a mental model. So I'm a huge fan of mental models. Um, if you want to read, I've got books everywhere. There's a book called Poor Charlie's Almanac. It's a rich, uh, uh, Charlie Munger's book. Uh, it's like a collection of his, of his essays and, um, or his speeches. And uh, he's the first one who introduced me to this idea of mental models um, through his writings, not, not personally. Um, and basically mental models are ways to look at the world so that you don't have to always start from scratch. You can like, basically the whole world's using addition. They're trying to, you know, if they're trying to figure out 800 times 27, they're adding 27 up 800 times. Whereas if you have mental models, it's like using multiplication. We can, it's like a shortcut that we can quickly access these ideas where we can see things faster than others. So for example, I always talk about inversion, like invert, always invert. Some of the best ways to find the answer to something is to, to, a, to a question is to invert the question, you know? Um, in fact, Charlie has an example of this where he was, he was in the Navy, I think Navy or Air Force, and he was trying to figure out like how to make sure that the airplanes took off safely. So he inverted the question. He said, what do I have to do to make sure all the planes crash? And then let's not do that. 
right? And that's, and he had some amazing insights from that. So one mental model is the map is not the territory. So that's an example, like C.S. Lewis uses this idea of the map not being the territory, but, um, and all that means is that maps are, they compress an idea, but they aren't the idea itself. So like, if you think of like a map of the United States, like it's not the actual United States, but it, there's something to be gained from that, even if it's not the actual United States, but then there's something to be gained from actually walking the land and actually putting your feet on the ground. So um, that's an idea that, yeah, C.S. Lewis is using and, and you, can absolutely, uh, you can absolutely bring to, uh, to marketing, for sure. There's no question. Awesome. Yeah, it, it, and I, I guess probably bring it in a little bit here. Uh, since, uh, uh, you were hey, you asked, you asked the question about my favorite book. <laughs> you were expecting me to say like, um, you know, uh, like some Dan Kennedy book or something, <laughs> which he's got lots of good ones. We, we'll, we'll, we'll rein it in. We'll only talk Dan Kennedy books. Oh, yeah. No, no, I thought it was good though. Um, but uh, one of the things I, I know that you, you talk about all the time is, is the idea of like morning routines uh, and, yeah. and I, going with that. And uh, I was, that was something that I, w I struggled with for a long time until honestly, you, you kept drilling it in my head. So, so I wanted to ask you then for everyone listening, like, like what's your morning routine? Yeah, um, it changes. Mm -hmm. It changes a lot. Uh, it changes based on, like I experiment and then I try to find things based on how I feel. So ultimately finding a good routine and I've worked with coaches and experts on this and friends of mine who like, this is their job is to help people develop more routine in their life. And I've talked with them and ultimately what it all boils down to is, is you have a core set of things that you do, which I think are universal to anyone's routine. You look at the most successful people, they all have a routine. Um, and it just serves to like prime the pump, like prime the engine and get you going. Uh, especially now with how remote everyone is, you know, everyone's on Zoom meetings and no one's going into the office. It's critical because one of the biggest mistakes you can make is like start working still in your like have your clothes you wore to bed and you know, Hey, no one's going to see me. What does it matter? And start working it. That'll just absolutely destroy productivity and your mindset and your ability to produce like anything constructive and good. So there are a few tenets and we kind of go through it really quick of the kind of the main things you want to do. But then ultimately once you kind of stick to this framework, then you're just experimenting. You're just trying to see how you feel. So what are the five things you should do? Every morning routine should include five things. It should include water, so you have to hydrate, movement, breath, like working your breath, food, and um, and move and movement. Uh, I think I included all five, right? Air, water. Oh, sleep. Sorry. So sleep. So sleep is part of sleep is part of your routine because you have to allow the time for it. So like this is and it's actually interesting. We should start there because so many times we're like, oh, we're gonna have a great morning routine. I'm going to wake up early. I hear that successful people, they wake up at 6 a.m. Well, they wake up at 6 a.m. or 4 a.m. because they go to bed at 8 p.m. So <laughs> it, it, just waking up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. isn't going to do you any good if you went to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning. So it's actually going to be super detrimental. Um, I think sleep hygiene more and more is going to be something that in the future, I think 20 years from now, they're going to look back and be like, people are idiots. Like, what were they doing? Um, like just sacrificing sleep because more and more people are understanding the importance of it. 
So sleep is, is huge. And that's what kicks off your routine. Um, so get to bed early people. Like seriously, I, I, I want to stay up too. I'm, I'm super productive at night, but I, I like have to make a, make it a point to just get in bed, start reading before I know it, I pass out. Um, so sleep. And then we have these four other elements, air, water, movement, and, um, and, and diet. So first thing you should do, I learned this from my buddy, Alex Sharfin. And he's like, he's, he does everything with business, but he's also like a biohacker and hydrate. You have to hyper hydrate. You have to like minimum drink 32 ounces of water. First thing when you wake up, it's a ritual, literally in the first 10 minutes, when you wake up, no, no food in your belly, just you got to hydrate. You know, you've presumably gone seven, eight hours, maybe more. If, you know, it's not like we drink water right before we go to bed. Um, maybe nine hours, you haven't had a drop of water in your body. You have to hydrate. Yet people will, first thing they'll do is they'll take coffee or they won't even drink coffee till like two hours later, which just dehydrates you more. So hyperhydrate, at least 32 ounces. I will usually do, and you know, everyone has to kind of increase their tolerance and stuff. So I'm not giving health advice. But um, I'll usually do 32 to 40 ounces of water, like chug it, like the way a dog drinks water. Like they don't sip water. They drink like you're going to take it away from them. Um, so that's what I do. You just chug that water. I think studies show it increases metabolism by 40% when you do that for like the next two hours. Um, and it just gets, your, gets, gets you hydrated, gets your brain working. Um, that's the first thing I'll do. And then I hit the road right away, whether it's going for a run, going for a walk, so I got my water. I already got my sleep. I got my water right away. Then I hit the road. I start moving and I start breathing. Now there's more and more coming out about this. I learned this like four or five years ago from my buddy, Anthony DiClemente, breathing through your nose only. All right. Now I know some of you might have like deviated septum, maybe broken noses and stuff. So, you know, I heard Joe Rogan once say like, get it fixed. Cause he got his fix and he's like, it changes life. But for most of us, we can breathe out of our nose mouth shut, no, breathe out of your nose, go for a walk. I go for my run and only breathe out of my nose. And I'll tell you, it's hard at first, but it's meditative. And there's a whole biochemical process that's happening. You can look it up on your own. Um, but I'll just go, if I'm, even if I'm just going to go walk, I just hit the street, put my shoes on, start walking. I'll probably go for like an hour walk, only breathing out of my nose. Right now, because I'm, I'm reading this massive biography, I'm hitting it with the Kindle and with the, uh, with the Audible. So I've got Audible playing while I'm walking, and then at night I'll read the Kindle, so that way I'm, I'm cruising through this thing. Um, that's about it. And then when I'm done, I come in, and I make sure that I eat uh, a good meal, uh, basically all plant-based. I have like two, two organic eggs in there, um, you know, free-range uh, eggs. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's just a lot of vegetables, some kimchi, some sauerkraut, get some probiotics in my system. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's my morning routine. And it's like clockwork every single time. Mm -hmm. and, and I assume because you've built that up over time as well, it helps in terms of your mindset as you're attacking problems, as you're trying to deal with this, the things you're over, trying to overcome then, right? I always say this, that everyone wants the routine to maximize performance, which it will, because now you're not having to make any, especially if it's a routine, you're not making any decisions until like, you know, 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning, which is great. Um, you're, you're, you're not using up your, you know, your decision-making capital early in the morning deciding like, what am I going to do this morning or what am I going to eat? Um, so yes, that's, that's good. It's going to help you, you know, 
achieve more, but let's invert the question is, you know, and kind of think about it in the inverse. It protects your downside. So when life gets uncertain, when, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of it, um, as we all have, uh, where it just seems like there's no way out of this. What are we going to do? You know, even right now, there's so much chaos. And, and there's, I know there's a lot of people that are hurting and it protects your downside. So you don't go into a tailspin. So you don't feel totally lost. If all you have is just that routine where you know every morning, because it's so easy to just sit there then in bed and just give up and say, what's the point? Um, no, you have your routine and you don't even have to think about it. You just wake up and you do it. And nine times out of 10, you know, after you're done, you've done your walk, you've gotten your fresh air, you've gotten some sun on your skin and your eyes. You know, you consume some good content, right? You maybe listen to a book, you ate a good meal, like, all right, like you're at least primed to do something where you could have spent that whole time, you know, just feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, and myself, like we all do this um, and done nothing and lost and lost a whole day, which can turn into a whole week, which you can turn into a whole month. Um, we've all been there. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of brings up another point too, because um, this is something that all business owners deal with. Like on, I would say like on a consistent basis at, at some point, like you try time. and do everything you can to, to obviously like not acknowledge it, but um, there's going to be that time where, for whatever reason you're in a funk or you just can't get over whatever that stumbling block is that you're trying to get through. So like when that has happened to you, like what have you tried and what works for you? So my routine is, and definitely, like I said, it's evolved over time. I've used to do a lot of different things. My routine used to be, I think there was a sauna in there. There was cold showers. There was, you know, ice baths. There was intermittent fasting for, X amount of time versus Y amount of time and working out, not working out. Like I've tried all types of things. Like now I've got a routine. It's the one I have. It'll probably change later on. So just optimizing that thing for how I feel and journaling it and realizing like, oh, wow, when I did that, I felt a lot better. So let me keep doing that. So my routine has been huge. Um, I think you have to have at least one person that you can confide in. Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you can feel, and I'm talking about like the depths of the, the pit. I'm not talking about just like, oh, I had a rough day, you know. I'm talking about when things get really, really hard. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but you get that feeling like there's like emotion here, like welling up, but like no matter what you do, like you can't get it out. It almost feels like it's stuck there. And I don't know if this is maybe you just feel it like as a man, like, I don't know, maybe we're, it's a little bit harder for us. I grew up with all sisters. They had no problem. It seems like expressing their emotions. I was the youngest and they just beat up on me and yell at me. So they had, it seemed like they had no problem. And they were always crying and happy and smiling and all this other stuff. So it felt like I, I'll feel that it gets bottled up and like, I just cannot let it out. And I have, you know, I have people in my life that I trust and I know and I'll call them up and it's happened to me. It's happened to me recently and just get on the phone and I can't even get past the first sentence and oh, like all this emotion comes out. You need that. Like we're humans and this is why it's been so challenging with all this with COVID and everything because we're so separated, right? We don't have our, our, our routine of being able to meet with people and, and hug and laugh and cry and all of this. We're having to be locked up in our houses and Zoom just doesn't cut it, right? It's not the same thing. So I think it's even more important for all of us to be cognizant of that, that we need other people. 
and you have to have at least one person that you trust um, and that you know that you can you can be open with because it's impossible to get through those downs like alone. It's just impossible. Yeah, yeah. I I, I know. I, I can't remember if you were the one who told me about this or not, but like I I've heard it from numerous places. The idea that you 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 can't like obviously you can't do it alone, but you need you need some you need that support. And usually it's from whether it's a spouse, partner, something along those lines that's in your corner too, because no, no matter where you're like, you're always going to have to deal with that kind of in your life as a business owner. It's just, yeah. part of the deal, right? Yep, exactly. And, and so many times it doesn't even have to be somebody that knows that can give you advice. You know, obviously there is benefit to being in a mastermind, mm-hmm. um, having peers in business who just understand, right. Who just get like what the heck you're going through. You know, it's hard to go to your, your wife or if she's not in the business or your sister or something, or like a, even a mom, um, and be like, Oh, I'm out of stock. I ran out of stock in like lead times or three, like they're not going to give you advice on what to do strategically. Mm-hmm. So that's where like having a mastermind of, of, of entrepreneurs who get what you're doing, they can give you practical advice. But so many times that person who is that outlet, like they don't even say anything. They're just there. And you know what you need to do. You just need a place to like vent it out and just talk with someone. And I think we, we fall into this trap again, this might just be me, but I know I have a lot of friends that feel the same as like, we, we get into this thing, especially as entrepreneurs, like we're going to grind it out. Like we're going to figure this thing out because that's our default setting is figure it out. That's why we're in business. That's why we have a business. Hmm. Um, but that can work against us. Like so many things in life, right? It's, it's a double-edged sword. The thing that allows you to win is can also be your detriment if you don't balance it and, and aren't aware. Yeah, de- definitely. I, I know that's something I, I struggle with all the time. The idea of, uh, of when you're, yeah, in terms of like, see, I'm talking to my wife or something, she's, she's able to help. But like I, um, you were saying, like, I, I, I know what needs to get done, but you, you tend to overcomplicate it or you think, well, no, it's got to be this. It's got to be that too. And, and, and sometimes like, I know when I, when I'm talking to her about things, she's like listening to me and she's there for me, but most of the time I already know what has to get. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and do you find that even though you don't get specific advice, you feel like more clear? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Forward. We were just talking, I think a couple days ago about something. Cause like I told you, like I started the 12 week year and I was trying to do something, I think it was Tuesday or something. And, um, like obviously like everything else, like a stomach like block comes up and I'm like, all right, so what am I going to do here? And then, I'm talking to her. I'm like, I already knew what to do, but yeah. I just didn't feel like, I guess, confident enough about it. So you're like talking to her and then it's like, okay, well, I don't know why you're talking to me. You, you already knew what you were going to do. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's interesting because as entrepreneurs, we have to get comfortable with, we have to get comfortable with taking action in the middle of uncertainty, which is really, really hard for us as humans. Like just in general, we, it's hard to take action, like decisive action when there's so much uncertainty, like it's easy to take action when you know, like, in fact, it's interesting when you're first starting out building a little side hustle or something, it's almost in some ways easier, right? Cause it's like, there's uncertainty about the future, but there's certainty about what you need to do. You got this one opportunity, you got this job, you know, this was, this was me. I was in a job. I was making good money. It was great. But like, I knew I had to get out of it. I knew I had to go back to sort of my roots and do my own thing. And I had one option in front of me. I said no to everything else very easily. I almost had nothing to lose, right? I didn't quit my job. I didn't, 
you know, I, I actually did kind of a slow transition where I started requesting, I learned this from Tim Ferriss in his book in the four hour work week. I, I requested like one day work from home. And before I knew it, I had, I had, I was working from home four days and like only going in on Fridays. <laughs> so it allowed me to transition really easily or not easily, but over time. And the biggest thing is like when your back's against the wall, it's easy to take action. Like, all right, let's see if we can get this thing launched. And if it fails, eh, at least I still got my job. Mm -hmm. But as your business starts to grow and you quickly get past the like meeting your minimum needs and like, fine, there's food on the table, mortgage is paid or you know, rent is paid, everything's good. Now we start growing, more opportunities come your way. Now there's so many options and there's complete uncertainty because you really don't know what's the best option. What should I do? And I think that's, that's where we really got to put on like our CEO cap and just make a decision, march forward, get, get the team on, on one page, whether it's multiple people or just us and our different personalities that we have in, in a business and trust it and go forward. And that can be one of the hardest things. And I don't know, I, I experience it all the time. And if anyone is listening to this and feeling that way, it, it actually can get harder as you start to grow because you have so many opportunities and none of them are really guaranteed. There is no right answer. Yeah. Um, which can be really challenging. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I know um, as business owners, we're, it, it's the, the great thing is that we're doing things that we've never done before and that, yeah. that essentially have never been, been done before. However, the downside, like you're saying, is that it's never been done before by you. So you don't know what you're doing. So yeah. you're, yeah. you're kind of like a lot of times fumbling through it. Yeah, you've got, you got people that you look, look to like in masterminds and, and people that have done it before but they've never, you're not, you haven't done it. So you're, you're yeah. trying to figure That's, it all out. Which is, which is actually a great point. That's why as much as possible, try to model, model success, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're like, at least you can hang your hat on the idea that, you know, at least one person this worked for. So <laughs> there's some precedent that's been set. Sure. All right. Um, so I, I know I only got a few minutes here, but I, uh, one of the things that you turned me on to was, um, uh, the one thing and ultimate sales yeah. and the idea of like, like the most important thing. So I'm going to ask you now, um, what's your most important thing that you're working on? Man. Um, well, right now it's hard because <laughs> I, I can't really talk too much about it. Um, cause it's kind of a secret project. So my number one thing is, uh, we're, we're working on, on some software. Um, but I can't really talk much about it cause it's still very much in the like, yeah, yeah. Keep it like it, development it, phase. You need to say. Um, but that, that right now is, is the, is the one thing. Um, and then as I always talk about <laughs> probably like a broken record, the one thing isn't the only thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, there is only one priority. There's one thing that takes precedence over everything else. So it's not priorities. It's not plural, right? It's one priority, but there's a lot of things we have to do. And I've got, you know, I've got a few plates uh, spinning in, in on the business side. So um, I try to not prioritize more than, uh, or to try to not make, you know, more than five things like my action items each day, any more than that, they just will never get done. And the list just gets huge. And I have to be mindful what I say no to. Uh, but yeah, once I, once I get my one thing done for the software side, then the rest of my day is, is, uh, you know, coaching and, and, uh, and, and creating new programs and stuff. So the one thing right now, yeah, I'm sorry. I have to be a little like 
that's fine. Cryptic. Um, <laughs> hopefully I'll have more to say about it pretty soon. But, um, and, and it's actually a way to actually enhance the experience for our, for our coaching. So that's, that's why it, it goes hand in hand. It's not like two separate interests. Um, but then the rest of my time, so I guess my other things are all um, related to building, you know, our better coaching program. I'm a huge believer in better, not new. Um, again, the only reason we're doing something new is to make the core thing better. But that would be my one big piece of advice, especially if, and honestly, this is advice I've heard that has helped me at the beginning. And I've got buddies who, you know, are doing 30, 40 million a year. And this is the advice that helped them scale is focus on better, not new, better, not new. Uh, so many times we, it's sexy to go after the new thing and it's exciting. Um, and that could be a new product, a new business, or sometimes just doing too many new things in the existing business. I have friends who have marketing campaigns that are crushing. Literally, they're putting a dollar in and taking out 10, $15. Like it's, they have incredible return. And instead of improving that one process, they're coming up with all these different marketing ideas and trying all these different things. So then they end up spreading themselves thin. Their teams are frustrated. They have way too many things going on at once. They can't scale any one thing because they're trying new stuff all the time. And they take something that has a 15 to one return and spread it out, spread out the capital they would need in the, you know, not only the money, but the, the attention, spread it among five other things that have a one to one return. And it just waters everything down. So improve the one thing that's working and find more, more and more complex like ways to make it better and make it a better experience, better onboarding, better customer, like, uh, um, like post-purchase experience, figure out how to create more value from the existing customers, like focus on the one thing, improve it, and don't worry so much about new all the time. No, yeah, yeah, those, those are definitely great things. I know, um, like, that was an issue I know you've talked about it too in the past about like the shiny object and th and that's another part of it too. Yeah. Like everyone kind of goes through that. I know that was something I struggled with for a really long time. It's that same kind of thing of like double down on something, like say no to everything else, put it on a posted note, those kind of things. It, Cause everyone always wants these amazing opportunities and there's so many out there. Yeah, exactly. And every once in a while, every once in a while, it happens way less often than we think, you know, there's this huge opportunity you just can't pass up. Right. And those are, and that's where you have to have some critical thinking and it's kind of, pause and think through it, see what the best idea is. But um, a couple strategies with that is like, have a shiny objects board. Like literally we have a Trello board where if I have some idea, we just throw it on the Trello board. It doesn't get lost, right? It's like a brain dump. We can always go back and revisit it. And, um, and that way you can, you can stay like mindful on the things that you're doing. There's a great book called Essentialism. I think everyone would get value from it. Uh, Greg McNown. Yeah. It's a good yeah. Book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read it pretty recently. It was pretty good. It's, it's good. It's kind of reinforces this idea of the vital few kind of Pareto principle, 80, mm -hmm. 20, like boiling things down. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I know obviously like I, I want to make sure I value your time. If, if it was up to me, I'd keep you on for another three hours, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so good uh, having you on. So I wanted to thank you for coming on, obviously sharing um, all of your expert insight. Um, so I absolutely everyone's heard me talk about you all the time. So it's great that people actually got to see you now. Cool, man. Um, so um, one thing I want to ask is, is so how can everyone listening find out more about what you're doing? 
Uh, yeah. If they just go to ecomunderground.com, they could find out about kind of what I've got going on. Um, or they can, uh, they can hop on, hop on Facebook. I, I actually probably, I'm probably still one of the only people who still uses Facebook more than, uh, Instagram and Twitter and everything else. So, um, I generally don't do a whole lot on social. So, um, but that's probably the one place to find me if you want to kind of see what I'm thinking about. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, well, thank you, Brian. And then, and thank you everyone uh, that's listening here today and I'll, I'll talk to you guys next time. Right. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Appreciate you.